Amen. You may be seated. I love you. If you, you got that, that is the whole Bible. That's, that is the story. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 9. Verse 6, sorry. When you go into your room, pray, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. All right, Stony last week. And so what is the aim of our prayer that is in secret? Verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, God, but deliver us from evil. If you, where are my King James people at? Right, for yours is the kingdom, and thine is the kingdom, and the glory, and the power forever. Amen. Amen. This is God's word, and this is God's prayer, which is very, very cool. So if you you grew up in um, church world, you've recited, or prayed, or heard this thing uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of times, and that's very good. Okay? I hope you do it more. I, uh, I, I hope you do this all the time. But, as Stoney, Kaysen, my man, we love you so much, and you're a giant now. <laughs> Stoney taught us last week that uh, with prayer, especially the, the prayers of the Bible, okay, and I meant to give these to you this week, sorry, I'll give them to you this week, just a uh, sheet of paper with all the apostolic prayers, okay, so you can just have it and be like, okay, yeah, I pray the Father of glory may give you, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, when we pray, the, the prayers of the apostles are especially prayers from the mouth of Jesus, okay? So this is really cool. This is God teaching us how to talk to Anyway, we get more out of those prayers, and, and even just the rote rec, uh, recitation of them, and they move our heart more if we know what's going on, right? If you know what's going on. In the prayer, meaning this, if we have a good uh, anchor and, and handle on truth, that truth is actually going to move uh, our heads more, our hearts more, and, and Lord willing, our feet more, right? And we actually walk these things out. Truth in the heart leads to the head, leads to the hand, right? This is how it is for uh, discipleship and following Jesus, and this is how it is for everything else in your life, Okay. You do things more if you understand them, which was my experience um, playing defense, okay? So, uh, Coach, I don't think Coach Means is here today because he could attest to these things. Um, elementary school, junior high, high school, I'm totally apathetic about defense, okay? Like, you've got to do it, you know what I mean? Like, you have to run to the other end of the floor and be there, and we, I, I called that um, defense, but it's mostly just the time before we play offense again, okay? So... <laughs> Um, that, that changed for me in college. In college, defense is everything, okay? We, we get out there, and we spend uh, all of August, uh, all of September, all of October, uh, I'm not going to do it this morning because my legs hurt, in a stance. I mean, we just sat there for what seemed like hours. We spent all of our two and a half hours of practice um, talking about defense, talking on defense, like it's just really talking, like we just talked so much. Uh, learning where to be, uh, how to stand, how to, how to move, and all of this stuff that in elementary school, junior high, high school, I didn't give a rip about. Like, you need to give me the ball so I can shoot it, all right? <laughs> you guys play defense and then get it to me. Um, 
On the other end, college is the total opposite. All we do is, is, is defense, and maybe my brain matured more or I got yelled at enough, but eventually it starts to make sense. Like, oh, defense matters. <laughs> like it, it's not just the break before um, offense. And so it, what happened is I went from not caring about it to despising it because of my legs to loving it, okay, to where we're doing defense drills in practice. I'm like all in. We're doing scrimmages in practice. I'm more excited that we get a stop. Stop more than when we uh, go and score. And then at games, I'm loving watching us play defense. Like um, our, my sophomore year, we had the number two defense in the whole country. I was on the bench, so not because of me. Okay, number two defense in the whole country. It was a chore just to get the ball past half court against us. And if you did that, it was a chore to get a shot up. Okay, like a shot clock violation happened all the time because everyone on the team like loved defense. And we understood it's important that you talk. So, and I just want to, I, I have my senior high school reunion is this weekend. And I'm just going to apologize to all my teammates for how many screens they just ran into. And I just watched them do it instead of saying, hey, screen left. Right? Because I, I didn't understand. I understood it. And I love defense now. Or not now, but eight years ago. Right? I love it. it. It makes sense. And so that's what I'm hoping happens with the Lord's Prayer. Okay? As we teach through it the next couple of weeks, that when we understand what's going on with our Father, okay, uh, our hearts come alive and our obedience come alive. We're like, oh, our Father. And I'm just say, saying this and praying this and walking um, it out. When we understand the heavens, uh, our worldview changes. Okay? How we think about um, reality and, and sovereignty makes sense and we start to live according to those things. And when we go to the scriptures and learn what it means for God to sanctify his own name, and hallow his own name and vindicate his own name in the sight of all the nations. It causes our hearts and minds to be like, oh, I want to get in on that. right? I want to be part of this thing when it happens. And then there's all the way to the end. When we learn about um, our daily bread and the forgiveness of our debts and deliverance from, from temptation and the evil day. The more we know what's going on in the scriptures and why Jesus is teaching these disciples to pray this way. The more we know, we're going to want to align ourselves and our hearts and our minds to actually, you know what I mean? Like, not just like, oh, i got to pray. Like, oh, our Father who's in the heavens got sanctified. You know what I mean? Like, just going to give us um, energy for these things. And then it just gets real practical, too. We're praying this way just makes sense. With the way God is moving history forward, this prayer makes sense more than anything else, okay? More than um, anything else. So that's what we're working through the next um, few weeks, and we'll start today with that first phrase, our Father um, who is in the heavens. And that's where the whole thing starts, right? Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. And that's all there is, guys. <laughs> There's only the heavens and the earth. That's all that exists. In, in, in any galaxy, whatever, we're still talking about the same house of the heavens and the earth. And, and there's more than one heaven. Did you see that? There's plural heavens. There's multiple heavens, right? Paul in 1 Corinthians, he's telling about his vision. He says, I was taken up to the third heaven. All right? So plural heavens. If you read um, the book of Enoch, I know Keith's about the book of Enoch. All right? How many heavens are there? Seven heavens. Now, we don't know if Enoch's whatever. There's definitely three, though, you know? There's the heavens, and there's the earth, and that's all that there is, and... We believe, the Hebrews believe, that God created it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Veggie tails, he just went, and there they were, right? 
spoke and it was. And the earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse, separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so in verse 8 said, and God called the expanse heaven. Right? That's what he made. So God creates the heavens and the earth. And then... God decides, you know what? I like what I've made. It is good, so I'm going to live in it. I'm going to dwell inside of what I've made. This analogy doesn't work, but it won't leave my head. If you have a dog, right, they walk around in a circle for a little bit, and then they lay down in the imaginary bed they've made, right? Nothing's changed. (laughs) Oh, now it's good. And then... Then they dwell in it. Psalm 104, you are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as a garment and stretching out the heavens like a tent. So the Lord covers himself with light as a garment on day one. He stretches out the heavens like a tent on day two, right? Why do you put up a tent? Why do you build a house? Almost? Get in a house someday? (laughs) Tyler and Shelby just build a house to build a house. They'll never live in it. Okay. <laughs> no, you, you build it to live in it. You build a house to live in a house, right? We're, we're behind Venture. We're building that thing to use it, right, for it to be a tool. And so Isaiah just carries this forward. Isaiah 40, has it not been told to you from the beginning? It has, right? It's rhetorical. Have you not understood since the earth was founded? Who founded the earth? The Lord, right? God who is in the heavens. And verse 22 says, He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy, spreads them out like a tent for what? Why? To live in it, right? I mean, that's, well, we're going to see why this matters in a second because I know it's like, this is astrology. What are we doing? No, it's, just, it's where he lives, all right? It's just a simple point. God dwells in the heavens above the earth. You know what I mean? Yeah, he dwells in the heavens above the earth, okay? So we ask the question then, because you might not have thought about it, does God dwell outside of creation somewhere? Is, is God out somewhere beyond the, the heavens and the earth? Did, did God make this thing, wind up the clock, and then step outside of it to kind of let the thing run? No. That's not what the testimony of Scripture says. At present, okay, right now, we're in Tonkawa on the earth right now. But right now, Yahweh, Israel's God, is seated on a throne of flaming fire, Daniel 7, above the the earth in a temple, Isaiah 6, with foundations, okay? So you might not have thought about that before, but that's what's happening right now. Above the earth... God is seated in his dwelling place in the heavens on a throne in a temple with foundations. And it's in material, okay? Does that, okay? Because, I don't know, you know we, we've inherited a, a worldview that, that, like, that's Casper land, all right? And then you can, no, it's real. It, it, it's material, it's real. He's above the earth at the height of the heavens, dwelling inside of what he has made, okay? So God's not out there somewhere. God's just right above us in the heavens, on a throne. Okay, so as the maker of the heavens and the earth, he's also the governor and the ruler over the heavens and the earth. Okay, when, when Solomon's uh, temple is built and they dedicate it, what's David say? 
1 Chronicles 29.10. We're going to look at the scripture again um, next week. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Right? And so here's where we get the, the, uh, the ending that is in our King James. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And, and you are exalted as head above all. Riches and honor come from you. And you, O Lord, rule from all. Okay, so they build uh, Solomon's temple. David says this. You know what happens next? Whoosh, right? right? The glory of the Lord fills the temple and the people fall down. It's a really cool um, story. Psalm 103, 19. The Lord has established his throne where? In the heavens, right? And, and his kingdom rules over all. Because he created it, right? So as the maker, he's also the ruler and the governor and the one with the authority. He created it, he dwells in it, he's the governor over it. Deuteronomy 10, Moses talking to the people, Behold, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, and the heaven of heavens, right? The, the height of the heavens. So if, however many heavens there are, God's at the height of it, ruling over all things, the earth and all that is in it. So the sum total of everything, right? You know, you don't, you know, you go to science class and... and they talk about the reality of everything. The sum total of everything is the heavens and the earth, and it all belongs to him. Okay? It's all, it's all his, right? The, the cattle on a thousand hills and however other many hills there are, they're his. Right? It, it belongs to his. Um, Ray, Ray um, Faith gets this. Ray is three, four. He's four. I should know that. He's getting into Legos, and he understands if I build the Lego, I am in charge of the Lego. Right? And if I say it needs one more wing, it gets one more wing. And if I say it doesn't deserve a wheel, it doesn't deserve a wheel. You know what I mean? He's the maker of it, so he's governor over it. And that analogy will break down if you take it farther. But, okay? He's the governor. You see the point? He's the governor over what he's made. It's his. He gets to decide how things go. And so I want to say this there's never been a time, ever, Never will be. There's never been a time where, from his throne, in the height of the heavens, God has not been the owner and the king and the governor of everything. Okay? Because, yeah, there's a narrative that says that at Genesis 3, God somehow lost his governorship and his rulership over the earth, and Jesus had to gain it back later. Guys, that ain't true. God's never not been the ruler of the heavens and the earth, because he made it. Right? It, it's his. That's my Lego. No wing. Right? And Josh, you don't touch it either. <laughs> right? It's his. He, he is the sovereign one. He, he's the governor. And, and as the governor, he's the arbiter of reward and punishment. Okay? He's the law. I made it. It's mine. I say what's good and I say what's bad. Second Kings 19.15. Hezekiah, a good king, one of the few, prayed before the Lord. And he said, O Lord, God of Israel who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of what? All the kingdoms of the earth. All of them. He's the God over them, for you have made the heavens and the earth. Okay? So why does it matter? Right? It's not, because it's true, one, you know, and we want to have truth. But if it's just truth and it doesn't do anything for us, who cares? You know what I mean? <laughs> okay, so why does it matter? This is the, the, the Jewish conception worldview framework of God, and it's the right one, okay? Just a, a sentence you should, you know, have in your arsenal is, hey, Moses was right, okay? That'll help you a lot. <laughs> Moses was right. 
God is the creator uh, of the heavens and the earth, and God is sovereign over what he has made. And it's this worldview compared to the other worldviews that Paul carries into Mars Hill in Acts 17, okay? Um, where he really draws out why it matters that God is, is the maker of the heavens and the earth, that God is, dwells in the heavens and the earth, and then God rules over the heavens and the earth, okay? So he's about to go talk to Gentiles who are dumb. As a Gentile, I can say that, okay? You know? They, they've got, they have no idea where history has started, right? They have no idea. They have no idea where history is going. They have no idea, I mean, besides God has put eternity into their heart, about right and, and wrong and, and what righteousness and unrighteousness, like they're just clueless about everything. That's why they have so many different stories about everything, because they're just making it up as they go along, okay? This is who Paul's talking to, not Jews who understand what I've just said, Gentiles who don't know a thing, all right? Acts 17, 24. So he tells them, the God who made the world and everything in it. You didn't have to tell that to a Jew. They would just, we're not first graders, Paul, we know. Got to tell the Gentiles, they don't know. (laughs) The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of the heavens and the earth, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So as the governor over the heavens and the earth, this is how God has acted, Paul tells them. He's given you life. It's giving you breath and, and everything else, like that turtle over there. It's breathing because God said that turtle should breathe, right? Verse 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, okay? So why? Like, why did God have you be in Tonkawa and someone else be in Zimbabwe? Paul's going to answer that. Verse 27, you were born in Tonkawa that they should seek God. And perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, okay? So Yahweh, Israel's God, not not Zeus and all these other ones. Israel's God is the Lord. He's the, the benevolent creator and sovereign in the height of the heavens. That's what Paul's telling them. Now look where he goes next. God made everything. He's the Lord. And as the Lord, he's the arbiter of what's good and true. He's the law. Israel's God sets the standard of reward and punishment. So in light of this, Paul says, verse 30, the times of the Gentiles' ignorance, God has overlooked that. Which, if they're hearing this, they're going to be like, sweet. (laughs) Okay? God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because, verse 31, God has fixed a day. Why can God fix a day? Because he owns it, right? So he decides when the store closes, right? He puts the sign on the door and says, okay, we were open, now we're closed, right? He has fixed a day because he's the governor on which he will judge the world. Why can Israel's God judge the world? Because he owns it, right? Yeah, you're getting it, okay? Because he owns it. It's his. He will judge the world in righteousness. Why can he determine what's righteous and what's not? Right. That's my Lego, all right? I made it. I decide if it has a wing or not by a man who he has appointed. So as the governor, as the ruler, as the creator, as the one who dwells in it, God has appointed actually someone else, given them authority to do this judgment on this day. What does Jesus say after his resurrection to his disciples? He says, what? All authority has been given to me. You therefore, and what's authority to do what? to judge the living and the dead at the day of the Lord. You, therefore, go tell all the Gentiles that this is coming and that I'm the one that's going to do it, right? God gets to decide that. God says, uh, Jesus, here's a man who's perfect and righteous, who lived his life in humility and love, and his judgments will be perfect. Jesus, why don't you be in charge of judging the living and the dead? Disciples, you go tell everyone that, okay? Tonkwa, you guys, Christian Life Church, you go tell everyone that. 
God has fixed a day on which he will judge the living and the dead by a man who he has appointed. And we know this day is coming. We know this day is true. We know God will actually do it because God raised Jesus from the dead. If he's not raised from the dead, our message kind of is nothing. It's just nothing. (laughs) It's, I mean... It's nothing. Okay, so as the owner, as the governor, God, who who is enthroned in the heavens, is the judge. And not only is he the judge, as the judge, he sets the court date for which man will give account. Does that make sense? Like, here's why, like, that it matters that you understand God's not far off somewhere. Right? Like, not involved in in what's going on. If God is, is somewhere else... Right, If he's far off, not in creation, it's much harder to live an accountable life before him, right? I mean, this analogy will break down too, but children are much more well-behaved if mom and dad are like this. Hopefully, you know, <laughs> right? But mom and dad leave, what happens? Well, I raid their freezer, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you know what I mean? If, if God's far off and, and we're told to live lives accountable to him because he's fixed a day in which he's going to bring actual real judgment, but he's far off and kind of ethereal in Casper land. But if God's in the same room as me, if he's in the same house as me, you see what I'm saying? I'm going to live far more accountable to God who's seated in the height of the heavens than to God who is like wherever. If I'm in the same room as him and he's going to call me account for my deeds, for my repentance and trust in his son, I'm going to live differently. Like it matters that we know that God is seated in the height of the heavens and dwells in it and rules over it and and has set a day to judge us and and call men to account for their lives. Okay? Spent way too much time on that. So let's hit our, our father. Okay? Since Genesis 12... Abraham's family has called this God that we've been talking about, who who dwells in the height of the heavens, governor, ruler over all things, they've called that God Father. That's what they've called him, okay? And uh, we've all heard sermons. Actually, if you were here, uh, it's probably been five years ago, I I preached through uh, the Apostles' Creed, right? We, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, and I told you guys, and I'm apologizing and repenting now, I told you guys, I went and looked at my notes, um, that what Jesus is doing here by calling God Father was totally revolutionary, and uh, and the Jews were just like, oh my gosh, you called him Father, and that's just not true, okay? So, sorry, okay. Israel has always known God as Father, Always. Always. Okay? And they know this for four reasons. First, God fathers Israel. Right? You've you've heard the expression, hopefully only jokingly, from a dad. I brought you into this world. (laughs) I can take you out of it. You know what I mean? Right. Well, this is why Yahweh calls himself father. Right? He brought Israel into existence. Right? So we got what? Genesis 3, man's rebellion. Genesis 6, God floods the earth. Genesis 10, they're all coming together. Genesis 11 is what? The Tower of Babel. Right? And all, all the people are coming together and say, hey, let's build a tower so we can sit at the height of the heavens. Right? And, and we can have a great name in the earth. And God says, no, you don't. Not going to happen. God scatters them and there's 70 nations. Right? 70 different languages, 70 different people groups now. And God chooses one of them. Who? Israel, right? Abraham and says, I'm going to be your guy's dad. 
the other 69 nations, they got dads too, right? They have different names, right? Baal and Molech and, you know. Israel's God is Yahweh. He is their father. So when those other nations with their other dads enslave Yahweh's kids, what's he say? Exodus 4.22, say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, hey, Israel is my firstborn son, man, okay? And you don't mess with my kids. I mess with my kids. They're mine. That's the next point. I mess with my kids. Pharaoh and your gods, you don't mess with my kids. And so what's the Exodus story? What's the Moses story? God, my dad beating up your dad. Right? I'm Israel's father, and I'm going to take care of them, and I'm going to embarrass and and annihilate and destroy all the dads of the other nations. So that's first. They they said, God brought us about. Of the 70 nations, God said, these are going to be mine. These ones are mine. Second, God disciplines Israel. Okay? It's what we were reading in, in the psalm in Psalm seventy eight today, and the majority of your psalms are really just recounting uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy. That's what's going on. The second reason uh, Yahweh calls himself Father is because he disciplines his kids. Okay, he disciplines his kids, and this is the majority of the story. God gives the law; it's very clear. If you do this, you'll be cursed. If you will do this, you'll live. Right, Leviticus 26, uh, uh, Deuteronomy 28 through 32, that's the deal. It's like, guys, I want this for you. I want you to bless all the nations by living this way. If you don't, um, it's bad. And they're reminded of this every Sabbath, okay? So you could go to a synagogue. I don't know where, maybe Oklahoma City has a synagogue. You go to any synagogue today, and they're going to read every Saturday Deuteronomy 32, which is the song of Moses. Deuteronomy 32. So every every Sabbath they hear this. They know God's Father. That's my point. They've acted corruptly toward Him. They're not His children because of their defect, but a perverse and crooked generation. Right, Talking to the ones who whined in the wilderness. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is He not your Father who created you? Is he not your father who made you, who established you? You were unmindful, verse 38 or 18. You were unmindful of the rock that fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. Okay? So God disciplines for them. Uh, in, in the wilderness with Moses, God disciplines them, right? Right? You got Korah's crew. You guys want to rebel? I'll open up the earth and swallow you. Right? It's, it's, it's real. Okay? It happened. God does this with Assyria and with Babylon in the times of the king, with the Greeks and the Persians, the Romans in 70 AD. That's God disciplining Israel with the Nazis in the Holocaust. It's God disciplining Israel with Islam. Now, God has disciplined his family for their unfaithfulness because he's their father. Okay, you know what I mean? How do you know a parent hates their child? They don't discipline them. How do you know a parent loves their child? The discipline, that's what Jesus, that's what God is doing here. The, the historical events in Israel's history aren't random. 70 AD is not random. One third, by the time they're all scattered, 138, 139, that's not random, okay? Those are signs that God has not abandoned Israel. Does that make sense? Like, that's what it, like, that gets interpreted different ways through church history that, that we view all the wilderness, we view Assyria and the Greeks and everything. We view that as, that means God's done with Israel. He's abandoned them. He, you know, he's doing this new thing with the, the church. That's not what's happening. It's a sign of, of love. It's a sign that this is actually my family. Okay? Hebrews 12, I discipline those who I love. Okay? 
And you're my firstborn child. Can a woman forget her child, Isaiah says, and have not compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, but I will not forget you, Israel. Though I've scattered you, I will. Right? (laughs) Oh, the Bible is cool. Um, All right. Third reason God calls, I mean, Israel can call God Father. And I could have picked 50 texts to make this point. I'll just use one. Isaiah 63 the reason God can call or Israel can call God their father is because God will redeem them. Isaiah 63, look down from where? Yeah. And see from your glorious habitation where you live at the height of the heavens. You are our father. Though Abraham does not know us or Israel acknowledges you, O Lord, are our father and you are our redeemer. From old is your name. And how will God redeem Israel? How's he going to do it? What's it going to look like? You have to come back next week. <laughs> we read Ezekiel 36. That's how he's going to do it. God is Israel's father because God is going to redeem Israel. Right? This is, this is the prodigal son's story. Right? The son has run off and, and, and abandoned the father, abandoned the house. But there's coming a day when he's going to realize, I am in the mud. And he's going to turn. And when they turn, come back. To the Father. What's the Father doing? Running back to them. God will not abandon His children, Israel, in exile forever. Okay? That's how this story ends. Not with Israel scattered across the earth, but with Israel gathered to their Father. And the last reason that God, we can call God Father is because God has a Son. His name is Jesus. And as God's son, as an Israelite, Jesus is the one who will redeem Israel. And that's not just good news for Israel. That is good news for all the nations. Okay? For you guys in Tonkawa. That's good news. For in the same way that God promises to redeem Israel as his children, the promise is for Gentiles too. Okay? Ephesians 2, Gentiles, remember that you were at one time separated from the Messiah and alienated from the commonwealth, from the family of Israel, and you were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, okay? Those people at Mars Hill, strangers to the covenant. Who is Eve? Who is Noah? Who is Moses? Who is Abraham? David, who's that? Strangers, total aliens to where history's going. You now, though, have been uh, and, and having no hope without God in the world. Verse 13, but now in Messiah Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near. How are Gentile sinners brought near? By the blood of Christ. For through him, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to who? To the Father. You see what he's doing here? Israel's father, and now he's saying, yeah, you guys, you get to come in too. Not to replace that older brother, to be the younger brother and call God your father. So then, verse 19, you Gentiles, you're no longer strangers, no longer aliens, no longer foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Households have a father. And you Gentiles, by the blood of Christ, through faith in him, you see what I'm saying? I'm not communicating this well enough because if I was, we'd be like turning backflips and you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? You're fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. So through Jesus. 
through his substitutionary, sin-atoning, sin-forgiving cross and death, all who were far off, okay? Which is us, all who were far off, all sorts of sinners, right? You know, ignorant Gentiles just don't know anything. Uh, drunks, murderers, scammers, the, the you know, telemarketers, right? Gloria is like... Nine, you know, ten calls a day, nine of those are, hey, we need to talk to you about your car insurance. You know, even them, even them can be brought near. And we too can call Israel's father our father. And how does this happen? By trust in God's son. John 1, verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world and to all who did receive him. To all who believed in his name, he gave them right to become what? <laughs> right? It's all believe in his name who received him. 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Sinners, aliens, strangers to the covenants, without God, without hope in the world. See what kind of love he has lavished on us that we should be called children. We're children. That makes him our Father. Yeah. So through faith in Jesus... Through faith in his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension and his soon return, we become children of God now. Okay? And I have so much trouble saying things are now. But this is what it says. We become children of God now. We can pray our Father right now. And as children, we receive our inheritance later. Right? Right? <laughs> later. 1 John 3, 2, just right after this, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now. We can pray our Father right now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. God's children now, praise God. Right? You know, do you, whatever. Praise God. But when He appears... We receive our adoption in full. All right? And we become like him as he is. Romans 8, 18. For I consider the sufferings of the present time now are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed then. Right? Well, we're children of God now, but what we, ha- what we will be has not yet appeared. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of who? The sons. <laughs> Creation's waiting... We're children of God now, but creation's waiting for us to be revealed then. We've had the, the music team um, come up. So what does that mean? What does the revealing of the sons of God mean? Okay, It doesn't mean that we just take hold of faith and actualize our sonship and whatever. Revealing of the sons of God means the restoration of Israel and the resurrection of the dead. Because that's what Paul says right here, verse 22. Creation waits for the revealing of the sons of God, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together and the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, we ourselves, we're groaning now. Okay? That's, I mean, you groan in this age. We're, we're God's children now. Our adoption hasn't happened, happened yet. We haven't been resurrected. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, okay? We believe in His name. We receive the Holy Spirit as a first fruit, as a down payment that says this is actually going to happen. We who have received the first truth of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. And what is the adoption as sons, according to Paul? The redemption of our bodies. 
So when you pray, our Father in the heavens, you're thinking, God who brought Israel out. God, God, God who disciplines and chastises Israel because he loves them. God who's going to redeem Israel. God who has brought us into Israel's family as Gentiles through the blood of his son, received by faith. Now we pray our father and we're called children now. And we spend the rest of this age in eager longing and groaning and waiting for what we will be has not yet appeared. And creation's waiting, and we're groaning for the revealing of the sons of God, the redemption of our bodies. Guys. <laughs> so, if that didn't make sense, I'm sorry. If it did, that's awesome. And I want to pray, our Father who's in the heavens. So, I want to stand, I want to pray for you. Um, and and uh, before, before we sing... If there is, uh, so let's let's do this. Heads bowed, eyes closed, whatever. Um, if if you would like, uh, one, you you have no no inclination towards God as your father. Your your view of uh, of a father is probably not good. Okay, uh, earthly fathers, Jesus calls them evil. Okay, <laughs> um, and, and you would like prayer to to, to have a, a revelation. Of God as your Father, um, I want to I want to pray for you, um, and so you can come up to me when, when we get prayer there. Um, and if you don't know if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know that He has died for your sins, that He went into a tomb that that you also will go into, and that He rose from the dead. If you believe in Him, you will also be raised from the dead. Okay. And inherit eternal life. If you're a total stranger to that, uh, talk to me. Talk to any of our elders who will be up here. Talk to the person you came to. They can tell you about that. And we want to help you with the rest of it. Because, like, you, you learn that, and then you got to learn it again tomorrow. And you got to learn it again tomorrow. And tomorrow and tomorrow. And that's our job is to is say, hey, you're going to get raised from the dead. Okay? All right. So let's just pray. Father, we love you. You are our Father. And, and, and you're not far off. You're, you're, you're dwelling in creation at the height of the heavens as the governor and the ruler and the sovereign over everything. And so I'm asking God that, that this prayer would, would become more than words, uh, more than something we do um, on Sunday, but you would make these things come alive, God. God, you're not far off. Dwelling at the height of the heavens. Lord Jesus, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you as our Father. As one, God, who calls us out. As one who disciplines us. As one who promises to redeem us. God, make this real in our hearts. that, That we walk as children of God. Children of the light. And we walk as children with with full trust in our inheritance to come. Who believe our dad doesn't lie. My earthly dad, our our earthly fathers might lie. Our earthly fathers might not come through on what they said. You do. You will do everything you've said. 
You will bring about every promise, God. Every The promise to Eve, God, to crush the serpent, you will do. God, the, the promise to, to Noah to not destroy the earth again, you will do. The promise to Abraham, God, to bless all the nations, you will do. The promise to Moses, God, to, to discipline and redeem Israel, you will do. God, the, the promise you made to, to the prophets, to Jeremiah and Ezekiel, to Isaiah, God, to make all things new, to give us the Spirit of God in fullness so we never turn away from you again, so our desires don't want to sin but only want to serve you. Your promise, God, that all the nations will come to you and offer worship and tribute and you will reign on the earth forever. God, you don't lie. You're a different father. You're different than the other fathers. So fill us, God, with hope in our inheritance to come. Fill us with trust in the faithfulness of God who does not lie. Always tells the truth. Always follows through. We'll do everything he said. In the name of Jesus, we said, Amen. Amen.